Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Rookie and Nice, the new podcast from BBC Good Food. My name is Miriam Nice. And I'm Nadia Zirfat, also known as the Rookie Chef. Unlike Miriam, I'm right at the start of my cooking journey. My day-to-day job is replying to your feedback and talking to you on our social media channels. Whereas I've been working in food and food writing for many years, including the last six at BBC Good Food. In this series, we're joining forces to deep dive into a recipe with an expert guest and help answer your cookery questions too. While I learn how to perfect a new dish, each week Miriam will be finding out how and when it's served and who to. Join us as we learn all about some of our favourite dishes and uncover some great cookery tips direct from the experts. Today we're talking barbecue and not just sausage and burgers in the garden. We're talking about the serious smoked stuff. Absolutely. And to take us through that journey, um, who is our expert today, Nadia? It is chef and restaurateur David Carter. Hi, David. How are you? Hello, guys. Yeah, really well. Thank you for having us. Oh, pleasure. Um, And tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Uh, My name is David. I'm the founder of Smokestack. So we started... Seven years ago in uh, Dalston, uh, under Street Feast, um, doing it at Street Food Traders. And then we opened a restaurant in, in Shoreditch in 2016. So we're just past four years. Uh, last year being the toughest, naturally. Yeah. But uh, we've been around the block for a little while, but obviously in, in a bricks and mortar sense for four years. So to start off, we have some cookery questions from our team, as they're very interested. Beautiful. Um, if you could only take one spice or herb to a desert island, what would it be? Probably Scotch bonnet, you know, Scotch bonnet is my, it's a current, I mean, I'm from Barbados, you know, born and raised and that's sort of what inspired Smokestack and it's sort of, it's as much about heat as it is about sweetness and fruitiness. Um, and I guess that's probably a, a Caribbean thing or a tropical thing. It's got, it carries a lot of heat with it, but it certainly has got a, a huge amount of fruitiness to the actual spice as well. So I, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. I was recently sort of introduced to Scotch bonnet and it is, it is delicious. Um, yeah, I mean, every Caribbean island's got their own way of doing it as well. You know what I mean? In Barbados, we use a lot of mustard, but in Trinidad, they sort of almost like ferment it and then blitz it with peppers and stuff like that. So there's all there's all sorts of different t- takes on it. Mexico, I think they kind of make it into, they just pickle it and that kind of makes it a bit less less pungent, but um, in terms of heat, but still the flavor is, is super powerful. It's delicious. And the second question is from Lulu. She asked, brisket is one of those cuts of meat that I see endlessly being argued over on barbecue websites. The main grouch is that it can be very dry. So how do you stop that happening? It is, I mean, it is quite a, I mean, a relatively long topic in the sense that there's two different muscles in the actual brisket itself. And what you're trying to do is make sure that one doesn't overcook and the other one doesn't undercook. So to be honest with you, it, it literally is about finding that finite point at the very, very end when it's ready. So, you know, because if you put it off too early, then it becomes incredibly tough and it's too, too late, it becomes dry. So I tend to say, 
don't overcook it. A lot of people go over the other way, don't undercook it. You know what I mean? When you overcook it, it becomes dry, undercook it, tough. So it's just about finding that margin of of of, of completeness, I guess. Um, but again, it's like anything. If you mess up enough, you get it wrong enough times, you get it right eventually. And that's pretty much our story. And Adam asked, what's the best at-home smoker or barbecue to buy for an amateur smoked meat enthusiast? Good question. I mean, it all depends what you want to spend. We started off with a Weber Smoky Mountain, which is pretty much, it's like an egg shaped something so like an egg so it kind of it's not like a it's a vertical drum in other words but there you can get pick those up for like three four hundred quid and i think as a as a as a novice that's what i'd recommend it's sort of you know 300 quid it's not going to break the bank um and yeah i mean if you treat it well they'll treat you well really then they're relatively easy to operate they're not so you don't have to refuel them every half an hour like the big smokers we used to have you can leave it for two three hours at a go and then it'll, it'll just look after itself really let's get down to the main recipe um for anyone that Beautiful. doesn't know can you just talk us through the barbecue cooking that smokestack is known for yeah well what it's, it's a good question what we've kind of taken and what we've adopted is you know we take non-prime cuts of meat so sirloin you know filet ribeye they're all prime and generally prime you just grill it uh anything non-prime so ox cheeks pig strotters pig tails, brisket belly um anything like that has to be cooked for a lot longer of a time because what you're doing is your meat by itself is a lot tougher so you're doing two things. You're 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 cooking the meat, obviously, but then you're breaking down the collagens. Collagens is what makes it really, really tough. So that is a long process in the sense that the meat becomes a lot tougher before it eventually gives. So everything we do is slow cooked. When I say slow cooked, the maximum temperature we'll cook at is about 130, 140, and that's when we're really pushing it. But we'll drop down as low as about 110. Um, not below that because I think you're just wasting time. And then above that, you're just sort of roasting it. So everything we do is for long periods of time. And I'd say it probably takes, if you cook over 12 hours, the meat itself is probably cooked after five or six. The remaining, you know, six, six or seven hours after that is breaking it down. They're breaking down the collagens. And the only way you can do that is by being really, really stubborn. Just keep going, just keep going, keep plodding through. Um, but because a barbecue is a very dry environment, there's, I mean, there's, there's, it's not like braising or steaming or confeing, which is fat related. It's, it's very much, it's, it's dry uh, by its nature. So the trick is to have a, a piece of meat that has enough fat to give and to make sure then that you're just treating it, you know, realizing that there's absolutely no fat into it. So it is going to dry out the product and understanding when to wrap it. So then it becomes sort of a, a steam at the end, towards the end, if that makes any sense. So we take, essentially, in long story short, we take non-prime cuts of meat and we slow cook them to the point where they're, they're chewable, for lack of better words. <laughs> And um, so That's we're great. smoke si smoker sing, see? we're focusing on smoked brisket today. So can you tell us more yeah. about brisket? What sort of cut it is? So brisket comes, I mean, brisket is like the holy grail. It's the most challenging to cook. Um, it's sort of, you know, especially in sort of Texas, uh, central parts of the States is really considered the, you know, the holy grail. And anyhow, it comes from the upper part of the, 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 the cow, so the chest, if you will. Um, as I said before, there's two, there's two muscles. So there's a flat uh, below it. And it's the same one that you get from pastrami, for example, or salt beef, but they all use the same thing. Um, this one is just obviously smoke beginning to end. So it's got two muscles, so flat, but it's on the, on the base, which is quite dry by its, in its nature. It doesn't have a lot of fat. It's not, um, it's a particularly tough kind of meat. And then on top of that, you have a deckle, which covers about two thirds of it. And it, the muscle actually goes the opposite direction. So what you try to do eventually is you put it in the, in the smoker, obviously, and you're just trying to balance the two so they don't overcook. Um, you know, in the recipe, we've obviously given temperatures, so 93 degrees, 94 degrees. 
in reality in a restaurant, it's all about how it feels. The, actually, it almost feels like when you pick it up a wet balloon. So imagine putting a balloon full of water and it's to the point where it's got enough weight to it and it flexes in your hand. Um, so again, it's one of those things that people really get quite excited about it, um, especially in the States. Um, it's sort of become, I guess, our thing. But, you know, I don't think it's a dish that necessarily finds us, although it is probably the hardest to cook. And you're just trying to get both on the same level of doneness um, with while permeating with smoke the entire the entire cup, really. Brilliant. And the smoke um, obviously offers like loads and loads of flavour, but you've added yeah. a, um, a rub to the, the recipe that you've given us. Yeah, yeah. In that, you've put um, onion powder and garlic powder. Um, yeah. What difference does that make in terms of like the fresh is, and, you know, fresh garlic or fresh onion? Is it a moisture thing? Is it a flavour control thing? Or is that just like the way it's the way it's done? No, I mean, and again, in different parts of the States, you use different things. I mean, some people use salt and pepper. Whenever you sort of combine ingredients, what we try and do is we're trying to co- contrast things. So you've got sugar and salt to counterbalance. And then you've got different levels of heat. So you've got chili powder and mustard powder. Uh, which offer different, you know, levels of heat. And then you've got aromatics. So, you know, we've got thyme in there, you've got garlic in there, you've got onion in there. And what you're hoping to do is through the actual smoking as well is that sort of caramelize on the outside of the meat. So it's almost when you have, the smoke itself is going to create a bark, but then what they, what the extra sugars and the actual spices do will form in the outer layer. So it'll give it that sort of bit of aroma and and, and flavor as well. So it kind of, it, it just enhances the dish a lot more really. Great. And then um, talking of um, aroma, it's actually a point yeah. that, that Lulu wanted to raise with you. She said the, the smell of food cooking is just so important. And she said that yeah, going to time. your restaurant, that um, it's you can smell it basically down the road right up until yeah, the yeah, door. The, the neighbours hate us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so how important is that strategies. in terms of like, you know, you know the atmosphere? <laughs> you know what? We 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 um, we put the Rolls Royce of extraction in and we had to close the restaurant <laughs> in... We had to close the restaurant in April, I think yeah. I can't remember when it was, April 19 to put in another 50 grams worth of kit in the ceiling just to make sure that the council was happy and it still still has a smell. Um, I think it's partly brand. I don't think there's any getting away from it. You know what I mean? The nature of what we do. And it's a combination of two things. It's one, you can obviously smell the actual wood, but by and large, you actually smell the meat um, because how a smoker works is indirect heat. So you have your fire in one chamber, the smoke feeds into the actual, where the meat is kind of rotating. And then by that time, the meat is cooking and the fat dripping down. And then obviously the smoke, then that creates this sort of smell. And I, I don't know, I mean, I think, I think if I went to a barbecue restaurant, there wasn't any smell, be worried. You know, where the guy is cooking the product, what's happening. Sure. You know, it should, it should be a bit, a bit filthy. You know what I mean? Um, and I mean that, I mean that in a good way. Um, so yeah, it is, it is uh, part of the brand. Um, the neighbors hate us for it and the council, but you know what we've done, we've done our best. And you know, it is, it is what it is. But at least it proves that we're doing it the right way, I think. You know what I mean? And maybe on a positive that we are, because we literally, the restaurant, when you look at it, it, all we have is a big smoker. We've got a very normal kitchen, one rationale, one stove, one grill. You know, everything is done in a smoker where we can. So we try and keep it as, as as honest and as honest to what we do, really, as that. And there's really, there's very little gimmicks in the restaurant. It is what it is. It's like brisket. It's sort of pork belly. It's, you know, pulled pork. It's quite simple, um, but hopefully done, hopefully done quite well. So obviously some people may not be able to have a smoker in the house, but um, with the rub that you've created, do you think that could be used on a joint of meat for the oven or what would you suggest? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you're never going to be able to replicate the, um, the smokiness, but I mean, that's, that's obvious, you know, um, 
what I would what I would do is you can probably replicate the exact same process, but in an oven because there's gonna be a little bit more moisture. It'll probably you know it'll obviously roast it. It'll probably steam it a bit more. Um, it's definitely definitely worth a shot um, by all means. And I think the brisket for me is again to my point early on. It's two things: it's flavour and it's texture. I don't think you'll be able to get the exact flavour which is given, but certainly the texture. Um, and I think the real skill of the brisket is getting the point where of getting it right at the right right time. And if you understand that product, whether it's in an oven or a smoker. It's it, the product should be still stuck in it inside. In, inside, you're obviously going to lack the sort of smokiness of it, but you're probably going to get a bit more beefiness because you know smoke and you know you're going to have a, you're contrasting flavors there as well. If that makes any sense, so it's probably going to take a bit more Sunday roast vibes. But if you get the texture right, which I really think was what we focus on the restaurant by and large is texture. If you get that right, well, then it'll be absolutely ace. And if you are doing it at home in a smoker, what sort of um, sort of texture and signs are you looking for to know that it is at that sweet spot? So, I mean, have a probe, but don't necessarily have it on, is what I'd say. So in other words, we turn off the probe for two reasons. Um, it gives you a very false sense of doneness. If I see something, for example, and it says 95 degrees, and I'm pretty sure it's overcooked or undercooked, then I'm going to read 95 and just throw my brain off. So what we do is when you bite a product, if for example, when you eat a product from a customs angle, you don't give a, you don't care if it was 95, 96, 93, 90, who cares? It's irrelevant. What you care about is how moist or how textured it is. So then taking that away, we kind of go quite stone age, you know, how we kind of think. Put the probe in it, it has to have, it has to have enough give, but it can't just pierce it like if you're pacing hot butter. It has to have a bit more rigidity a bit more towards like room temperature, but for lack of better words, it has to have a bit of resistance because in the new, you know, it's not overcooked. So always use um, a probe and pierce in every part of the meat. So you have the flat on the lower end, right to the top. And you're just constantly piercing it to make sure. And in your head, you're like, how I always I'd give the analogy of it, if I was biting my teeth in this thing, what would it feel like? You know what I mean? Is it literally going to go, it can be completely hard? Or if I was actually biting it, this is actually going to have a bit of give. And you just can think a lot of common sense. And the other way is you lift it up in your hand and then you hold it like a wet balloon. And if it really, if it feels quite weighty and quite heavy, it's probably about right. If it feels a bit light, it's probably overcooked. And if it feels hard, it's just undercooked. You know, that's, that's, sorry, I know it's a bit sort of hard to explain no, over no, podcasts, I think but um, it's, it's sort of like, it's all about the product feels in your hands. It's really. a lot to do with instinct, isn't it? So I'm sure at first when people yeah. start out, they may not really get it to that sweet spot, but then after a yeah, while yeah. cooking it a few times, it's just experience, isn't it? But that's like with a lot yeah, of cooking. Well, what we, yeah. yeah, what we used to have back in the day in Dawson is we had like a, a whiteboard in the, in the, in the, container we had a shipping container you know dummied up as a as a kitchen and we'd write down every brisket had a number one two three four five like 20 and then we'd write down on the board what we thought was right so number one we thought was obviously bang on the money and then that night when we would cut it we'd review it and say well look, no that was actually completely overcooked we got it completely wrong and it's the only way we learned is by cooking so many of them and then going back to the drawing board every night okay well that one was great that one's a bit under that one we didn't trim well enough and it was always like a constant review until we got the hang of it um so it was pretty much I guess to some extent self-taught you know from mistakes so we became very good at getting it wrong before we got it right it sounds <laughs> like sort of like betting it sounds like sort of edible horse racing yeah, or something yeah, it's <laughs> weird. that sounds quite well the thing is it's quite weird it's one of those things that because because it takes so long to cook when you get it right when you get it wrong that night you can't recover you know what I mean let's say you cook you'll be cooking all night long and you're doing an event that night you can't just go say well, let's put a you know something on the grill and get it right again it's you're finished. You're, it's over. Game over. You can't re-replicate it. So then it becomes a real kick in your teeth. Equally, it becomes completely gratifying when you've learned from it the next night and you've actually nailed it. So, 
It's one of those things, again, because it's challenging, it's, it's probably the reason why we did it in the first part, right? Um, make life hell on ourselves, unfortunately. <laughs> you show like a tremendous amount of um, passion for this type of cooking. When did you fall in love with cooking generally? Um, I think I've always, I mean, I've always, look, my, my thing is I, I like to eat, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you like to eat within, you know, backtrack to where you got to start. So I guess by, by nature, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a glutton really. So I think that's kind of where it started. Um, but I became sort of when I was a, I guess, 14, 15, back in Barbados, a bartender um, doing events and stuff like that. And I think it was adrenaline more so than anything else. It was like being in service and literally it all just happening at eight o'clock and it just was like, hit you like a ton of bricks. And I was like, the adrenaline is unbelievable. Um, and I wanted to be an architect before that. I still do in many ways, um, or designer, project manager, something of this sort. Um, but then I think, yeah, I fell in love with it. I said, I want to go study this in uni. So I went to uni and studied um, hospitality. And then, yeah, it's opened a lot of doors for me. Traveled, uh, traveled a lot, lived in four continents. And it sort of somehow ended up in London. So it's been good. It's been good fun. It's funny you talk about the the rush of hospitality because um, I've sort of been waitressing my whole life, obviously, up until I jo yeah. joined um, Good Food. And whenever I say I really yeah. miss waitressing and I miss just working yeah. in a restaurant environment you get one of two reactions people even look at you like you're crazy like why would you miss that yeah. job or they completely understand it but I think it's such a unique experience working in a restaurant and so it is very yeah. challenging but I, I think it's worth it definitely yeah I think I mean I've got a little boy he's 22 years old and you know whether whether I'd like him to work in restaurants for a couple of years even if he absolutely hates it because I just think it's it's a, a really good grounding you know, there's obviously with what's going on now, there's lots of reports of how many young people actually during university to fund university um, before, you know, whatever it is that join hostility. And, you know, it's quite staggering numbers. And I really think it just, you know, teaches you a lot of values, really. Um, there's very few people that last as long, that long, though. You know, I'm one of the old boys now. Um, but, you know, in the beginning, it's sort of your, your average team is probably, I don't know, 24, 25 um your median age and then sort of it as it as you get a bit older everybody's like look i'm tired of working saturday nights man so um i think i'm a bit too far gone no, i'm a bit too far vested now and then um, you don't you just mentioned your team briefly but you, you you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to but um sure. just um briefly obviously um smokestack um and other restaurants are closed to the public at the moment you've pivoted to these um diy boxes or local takeaway like how has that yeah. process been for your team if you if you want to talk about it yeah by all means um challenging in many ways i think you know to to, to your point early on we get in restaurants for a reason we we love the adrenaline we love to serve people um we love the instant satisfaction. Uh, we love being in the weeds, even though we say we don't, which is like being a bit under the pump. Um, and you can, you, you know, that's the reason we do it. We started doing boxes, I think, in July weekend when we opened. And we spoke to sort of the team, Nancy, and said, well, look, should we relaunch this now? We're about to reopen the restaurants. What's the hell sense of this? And probably one of the best decisions we made that year, in hindsight, was opening, doing boxes then, because it allowed us to kind of establish certain things. And for us, it's been a, I mean, I don't want to, Say, I know a lot of guys suffering, but for us, it's been a it's been a home run. Um, we turned the corner into Christmas last year, so quite recently, um, and it's to the point where you know we are doing pretty big volume. Um, not as good of a job as I'd like to do, if I'm honest with you. I think it's sort of operationally we need we need a premises, we need space, um, and it sounds stupid, but when you bring in you know pallets of boxes, you bring in four or five pallets of boxes. Like where do you put that? You know, it just sure. sounds something as silly as that. You know, a product you use and. In the restaurant as well, we use, you know, a very varied thing. So you come in there, you order a bottle of wine, cocktails, 
sides, starters, desserts. So you ordered a very a varied menu. And with the DIY or with the boxes, you order very little. So you only order three or four, maybe five or ten ingredients. But then you order a mass. So we're buying we're buying meat now by the tonnage um, for this. I mean, I'm not I'm not exaggerating by the way, like not even by any stretch of imagination. But because we're not selling any, but we're not selling any bulls at all necessarily, relatively speaking. So it's become quite one dimensional. So we've definitely pivoted, and it's been been quite a success for us. Um, not without its challenges, um, but again, I sort of live with those challenges. So as tough as it's been over the last couple of weeks, it's sort of I'm sort of quite motivated now because I think I know what we need to change, and we're in the process of changing it. Um, but it hasn't it hasn't been that rough for us personally, to be honest with you. Good. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing Good. that. Um, okay, so what's the best way to enjoy um, either this recipe or make the best of one of your boxes that you'd send out at home? Um, I think I think barbecue by its nature is sort of it's fat laden, it's rich, um, it's naughty, it's it's and it's supposed to be. If it isn't, you're not doing it well enough. And I think most for the most part, we use pickles or and something to cut it with everything. So whether it's some form of acidity, whether it's some sort of you know pickle or chili. Um, even a bit of mustard, horseradish, whatever it is. So we serve with our, our beef in particular, pickled red chili, which I think is amazing. The Scotch bonnet pickled is amazing, but it'll definitely, it'll definitely knock you for six. It'll definitely hit you quite hard. Uh, if you can handle it, great. Um, I don't think most can. Um, but I think anything like that really works well. Even like just raw onion would work really well. So I think anything along those lines, the barbecue I found that in the States becomes quite one dimensional. So they have just, a, just on its own. I do think it works better with a sauce as a bit slightly sweet, slightly tangy. Yeah. Um, because I think, again, it just balances it. And I think, you know, what I love about the London food scene now is a lot of balance and there's a lot of creativity in, in, in dishes. Um, whereas I find the stuff in the States can be amazing, but it's literally, you get beef and fat, and beef and fat and beef and fat. And it's like, okay, you get a bit bowled over by it where I think, you know, the more you can soften the edges a bit of the dish, then the better, the more you can eat for one and the more palatable it is. So I definitely recommend some sort of pickle, some sort of chili, um, something to kind of cut the richness and if you can be brave enough for sauce um, you know whether and again something sweet and tangy can be something like tamarind for example is a really good shout um, barbecue sauce obviously natural natural voice but again so long as it kind of fits those remits of being a bit tangy and a bit sort of sweet as well at the same balance at the same time to balance the sort of richness of the dish and would you say there are some good. yeah it does <laughs> would you say <laughs> would you say there are some um, common mistakes that you you find people make when they're cooking it at home and how can they sort of avoid those yeah i think there's a again to your point early on there's a lot of excitement about brisket and there's a lot of opinions out there um i've got a quite a, a low-key one it's it's the the thing that matters the most is the final product so the rub is important yes but not that important what really matters the only thing that really matters is obviously the, how you actually cook it itself. So you just look at that that point of not overcooking the the flat and not o- undercooking the 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 decal. That's what the point you're trying to get to. Really. So I would say that, and I think the other advice I'd, I'd give is you want to wrap it in butcher paper foil towards the final stages. The reason being is the brisket on the outside gets a bark or what we call a bark, and it's almost like toast. When you have toast and it's come out golden brown, it's perfect. But when you leave any toast for a bit too long, it gets a, it, it not only becomes dark, but you kind of lose bread, if that makes any sense. So it just becomes that it just the bread becomes really, really, really crusty and you end up throwing it away. It's the same thing with brisket. If you don't, if you don't wrap it to the point where it's the perfect color on the outside, um, then what's gonna happen, it's just gonna deteriorate and you're gonna have a bigger and bigger bar and you're left with not much to enjoy inside because it's just whole 
burnt gnarly bit on the outside if that makes any sense is there a way of i'm just thinking like is there a way of people practicing like with a smaller bit i'm just worried that someone's gonna buy like a, a six kilo piece and then like it's bark <laughs> like is there a way of kind of like the, the very, getting used very, to it there is there is a very simple answer to that question is no the reason <laughs> no the, re- the reason is we did this before when the restaurant even something that somebody has experienced is that we were when we opened the restaurant we were cutting pastrami and we were cutting it in half because we weren't selling very much so we we're just doing a flat and we could never ever 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 get this right and for love or money we could not figure out why and the simple answer was that we were cutting it in half and if you, to my point earlier on toast, if you cut a piece of toast in half, again, so it's, it's twice as thin, it's going to end up a bit dry as a product, right? Yeah. It's the same thing with brisket. And we just, we weren't even clever enough to figure that out after six months. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And it was always a dry, pretty rubbish product. And it's because we kept cutting it in half, only smoking it flat. With with a lot of, any one of these ones products, you really want to leave it as, as fast as you possibly can is you want to leave it as whole as possible. It's the same thing with like a short rib. If you have a rack of ribs and you cut one bone off and you're trying to cook it, I don't care how good of a cut you are, you will never have the same results in a whole rack because there's so much more moisture to kind of go around. It's like the Sunday roast, you know? Um, and I only say that from personal experience. Um, so you can try cutting it in half if you want. Uh, you're braver than me if you do. Okay. Because I, we've just done it. We've done. We've learned from my mistakes. It's kind of like you've tried it, so we don't have to. We can just yeah, piggyback yeah, honestly, off your experience. Just, I mean, the, and the thing is, like, if you really get it, I mean, if you really get it wrong, right, then you can you can put it into like a braise, for example. So in other words, you can put it into sort of like a chili, for example. You can pull it apart and mix it into sort of like you know mix it with loads of sauces and you know form it into croquettes type of thing. So you're not all lost and gone. And I think some people get so defeated by it. You know, um, we've learned the hard way many many times. But if you're a bit clever and you're a bit creative, then it's not all gone by any means. And it may be a bit dry, worst case, but like whatever. I mean, you know, there, there, there's fun in trying. There's fun in getting it wrong. You know what I mean? Because there's also fun in getting it right. You know what I mean? It makes it that much more rewarding. Because you probably won't get it right your first time around. Um, definitely something I've well, learned. Maybe you will. Maybe you will. <laughs> maybe you will. But I, we certainly didn't. Fantastic. And what else? You've given us a side dish, but what else would you serve it with? You've mentioned like sauces and pickles. Is there anything else? Yeah. Um, well, the thing I think it's, I mean, we use the brisket for two reasons in the restaurant. We use it in a bun, um, mm-hmm. which I personally think is better than its own. But um, if you ask a purist, I'd probably get shot for that. They prefer it just on its own by itself. <laughs> I just think it's more of a dish. You know, we have this amazing um, Malaysian bakery. Um, we have no idea what they put in the buns. Um, but I got a feeling it's like milk powder and MSG and I don't know what it's in it, but it's amazing. And it's just a really like soft milk bun. It's amazing. So I think um, we, so we have a one base. We have the actual um a barbecue sauce and then we have the brisket itself a bit of salt on top um sea sea salt ideally if you want the sort of flaky nature chilies and then you have a bun that we just put we either put a bit of butter on the top or smoked beef fat and i think that on its own is an absolute cracker it's it's sort of our i guess our signature dish and the bad news of that is we've never been able to create one nearly as good um it just i'm not saying it's a perfect dish but in terms of texture in terms of balance of acidity sweetness saltiness umami um i don't think we've ever come up with a more balanced dish um so i'm not saying it's perfect or the best dish in the world by any stretch of imagination but it was a complete luck of the draw um and we still haven't been able to create anything close so it's a, a blessing as much as a curse <laughs> more cursed as recent to be fair i know what i'm ordering <laughs> <laughs> no it is good um and then again if you other sizes stuff like that i think again if you have it as a main course well then you know you, you definitely want to do sort of um 
Besides, I think, I think it sounds really silly, but you know, something as simple as a coleslaw is really good because it's got a lot of texture for it. Um, you know, it's got a bit of creaminess to it. It depends if you use a vinegar based or 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 um, or a vinegar based, a mayo or vinegar based one, and then any sort of sides really um, that you fancy. Um, but yeah, the kale is a good shout as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you put that in the recipe, that sounds really yeah. delicious. Um, but I was going to ask. How would you? I, I'm asking you because I've seen the pictures on the website and they look really yeah. gorgeous. Like there's a jacket potato with like a rabbit topping that's all piped and looks so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. How it's would you give any tips to like presenting a spread like that to someone at home if they were going to lay it out? Yeah, I mean it's it's so let's consider a brisket box then. Yeah, that's yeah. all put aside. So if you did so the potatoes, I mean there are sort of labour intensive processes, but if you have the time, then great. So what we do is we put the potatoes in the oven. <laughs> don't boil them because um, you want to draw out the moisture. You want to take out as much moisture as you possibly can. So put them in the oven as whole, the skin, obviously washed them before, put them in the oven, dead simple. Then you want to take off the top of it, just so enough so you can scoop out the flesh inside. Scoop out the flesh, then you deep fry the skin. Um, and a lot of our recipes, there's a huge amount of play, a bit like your rub, um, and a bit like what I'm about to tell you next. So then we take the actual, um, we then we deep fry the skins. So what that does is, is you've got a very shallow, so you almost create a, a big potato chip, for lack of better words, on the outside. And then inside, we actually mix it with sour cream, chive, a bit of mustard, a bit of milk, um, butter, salt. But there is no rules with this sort of thing. We we don't do ours to sort of a, a very sort of um, silky smooth consistency. It's sort of a bit rough and tough. Um, a bit the brand is a bit rough and tough to be fair. Um, but if you really wanted to do that, you can do like a a Robochon method of you know two parts butter to one part potato. Um, you know it literally is cream, um, but it's amazing. And then there's loads of fun you can play with it. And we use on top of bechamel. Um, so it's like a, a bechamel is like a flour base, flour egg. Sorry, flour, um, butter um, that we kind of mix together um, to a thick paste. And then we add in sort of cheese, Guinness, Worcester sauce and create a rare bit on top. But, you know, you know, bacon and chive, sour cream and chive. I mean, there really is endless limits of what you can do with it. We, yeah, we keep ours quite simple. So it's a potato. We stuff it back inside, mix with sour cream and chive, a bit of English mustard. And then we do a Welsh rare bit on top. So English mustard, Guinness, uh, Worcester smoked apple cheese, mature cheddar, uh, whisk that in with a bechamel and then just pipe it on top and then put it in the oven. So very easy, but a bit a bit laborious. Uh, if you have the time though, then, I mean, to be fair, you've got 15 hours of cooking a brisket, so you definitely have the time. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So you definitely have the time. So, um, yeah. I'd need that for like, because I'm really impatient. So if I was going to cook something for 15 hours, I'd need like lots of little jobs to distract me so I wasn't just prodding it every well, second. Working back from 15 hours, I mean, what it means is you're pretty much cooking overnight. Yeah. Even if you even if you start at 8am in the morning, that doesn't mean you're going to eat till probably, what, midnight that night. So, you know, in nine times out of 10, yeah, maybe more, people always start a brisket overnight. So we are starting a restaurant at 11pm after service so every night we load the smoker fully and then we're sort of done-ish by you know mid-afternoon because dinner service is when we're, we're busiest in the restaurant and the idea is that we just literally in service then but during lunch we've got a bit more time to play so we kind of fill it with the smokers then um but yeah i know it sounds ridiculous but you know that feeling the night before you go on holiday and you know you go to yeah. bed really excited i feel like that's what i would be like if I had a brisket yeah. on overnight. I just wouldn't be able to sleep. Uh, really. The anticipation would <laughs> yeah, be I mean, too much. Def- <laughs> well, the thing is that you don't, you don't really sleep because you've got to check, you got to check every two hours. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It is, it is um, yeah, between the excitement and then 
and between just the sleep deprivation, it's pretty um, it's pretty full on. But it's good fun though. I mean, look, I think again, when you get it right, it's great. Um, I, cu- I couldn't do the red eye shifts anymore. I'm a bit too old for that. But once upon a time, there's somebody there with like camp bed by the smoker. Is that how? how no, it we have we have. I mean, we hammock. started off with different kits. So if you started off with the Weber Smoky Mountain, that's pretty much check it every two three hours. We've had kit before, you know, the proper, you know, the ones that look like a train, offset smokers. Yeah. Where we have to reload those every half an hour. And um, yeah, you lose you lose your love quite quickly when, you know, on your third overnight shift, you're like, this is horrible. Um, but again, it's sort of, you know, you live, you learn. Um, and then eventually we've got smokers that are a bit easy on us. Um, so we still do overnight shifts every so often. Like for Valentine's, we were doing 24-7 shifts for, for two weeks. Um, oh, wow. But now... But now sort of the guys, you know, we try and send them packing by midnight and then somebody's back at eight o'clock in the morning. But it's sort of, it's a bit more temperature controlled. Um, and the first eight hours, the first 10 hours in the smoke is not too important in terms of you set it up right, it's fine. It's the latter parts when you're wrapping the meat and when you're checking it, it's done. You, you definitely can't be in bed for that part. That's sort of, that's pretty imperative. Okay. Cool. And um, so if you if you still got the energy after being awake all night making a brisket and you're serving you it to people, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, who would you want to serve this meal to? Who would be your, you're not, say you're not in the kitchen this time, you could sit around the table, yeah. who would be your fantasy dinner guests? You can have a few, maybe you can have three. Um, I've not actually worked this out yet. I just sort of say yeah. as many as you like. Um, um, dead, question, alive actually. or fictional, you can choose. Um, I think David Attenborough was a bit of a dude actually. I think Good he's. Choice. I think he's. I think he's going to go down in the, in the. You know, the world's greatest, really. So I think. Um, I think he's probably my, my guest, actually. Um, you know what he's done for the. I don't know. If, I mean, it opened everybody's eyes, really. I think he's probably you know, top of that list. If I had to guess. For sure. You bring the brisket, and he brings the. the yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what we've accomplished, facts. what he's accomplished, is all relative, <laughs> right? I mean, he's just a bit of. He's a bit of a god, really. Um, so yeah. That's a great guess. That's good. Anyone else? Um, we did. Um, we used to do festivals for a living um, before we got into restaurants, and so that's how we raised the money for the restaurants and stuff like that. And probably the most, the best performer we saw was probably Stevie Wonder at Hyde Park BST. Uh, that had to be summer two thousand and fifteen, I'd say. I think he'd be a bit of a dude as well. Actually, I think he's uh, he's up there. Probably of, of performers as well. I think he was probably the best that we that we'd seen. And we did we did you know the whole lot of Glastonbury Wilderness uh, Secret Garden BST. I would say he's out there as well. Um, just for, yeah, complete show stuff already. Great. That sounds great. Yeah. I think that's all we have time for. Yep. Yeah. Beauty. Beauty. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's <laughs> been thank so interesting. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Left you guys in the hanging for half an hour. Well. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. So I'm good. Better in the kitchen than I am on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Don't very excited to, to come to the restaurant when everything's back to normal. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is we're going to be opening April 12th for sure. So we've got a we've got a relatively big terrace. Terrace is half the size of the restaurant. So we'll be opening then. And then, um, yeah, guns blazing, I guess, in May. So it's at least the end is the end is near. It's in sight, at least. So yeah. quite looking forward to getting back in the thick of it. So trying to get things back, restored in the restaurant now. Big renovation coming up. Because the last time, I hope it'll be closed forever. So, yeah. Peace. Yeah, exactly. Works. Exactly. Fingers crossed. Fingers um, crossed. And uh, yeah, Dave is going to be recording a recipe for us so you can cook along sure. at home. You might need to pause it after sure. <laughs> the 15-hour intervals. Sure, sure. But yeah, um, we can't wait to try it. And that will be available um, on the weekend after this episode goes live and also on bbcgoodfood.com. So thanks very much for listening and thanks for joining us. 
Not at all. Thank you for having us, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Rookie and Nice, a new podcast from BBC Good Food. For recipes and more information, please visit bbcgoodfood.com slash podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. 